Hey folks, Scott Weingart here, and this is the MCrit Podcast. Today, an episode I should have done a long time ago. I was looking through my uh, proposed show lists, and I realized, holy crap, I haven't hit lumbar puncture yet. And the LP is ripe for an MCrit episode, a procedural deep dive, because I see so many uh, mistakes in my estimation uh, when uh, I go into the room and a resident, and sometimes even an attending, is doing the procedure. Um, and it really makes for a situation where I think the people who really get it, this is like just no problem. They get, you know, first pass success on their LP like almost every time. Uh, and then the people that don't have good uh, procedural foundations, uh, they fail all the time, even on easy ones. And so I think it is well worth going through uh, the things I've seen that have gone awry in LPs. And, you know, I, I teach a very particular way, as you'd predict from listening to the MCRIT podcast. I definitely have opinions about pretty much everything in resuscitation. And so uh, I will teach you my opinions here today. And if you dispute any of them, Gosh, would I love to hear from you and just tell me what the hell I got wrong. As usual, I take so much pleasure in being shown that there is a better way, a, uh, a, a smarter way of doing things than I have done. So please, please get in touch in the comments section. All right, let's dive right in. Now, what I'm going to use as my structure for discussing this is I have this uh, procedural recipe format that I use whenever I am uh, teaching or creating a, uh, a podcast or a show or a paper on procedures. So I'm going to go through that in that this vein today. Maybe I'll do a whole episode on teaching procedures. Maybe I'll get someone like Mac Moyetti to join me. It'll be super cool. But let's go through it. All right, so then we start with the ingredients because, again, this is a recipe format. So there's ingredients and then there's the actual uh, method, the technique. Um, so the ingredients, we'll start with indications and contraindications. Now, you know the indication for this. It's uh, basically to collect CSF for uh, fluid analysis. That's pretty much it. You could argue, okay, well, sometimes we do this for uh, relieving uh, pressure for something like idiopathic intracranial hypotension, aka pseudotumor cerebri. We're not supposed to call it that anymore. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of fallen by the wayside. Many people don't believe that's really effective. It's only a stopgap type measure. So for the most part, it's for CSF fluid collection. Um, they might do other things in the OR, in the anesthesia world, in the uh, neurosurgical world. But for us in the ED and critical care unit, it's pretty much just for uh, collecting fluid. So that's your indication. Now, the contraindications... Um, really critical that you make sure you're on top of these. And in fact, what I do is I, I for all the procedures where uh, when I'm doing this with residents that I want them to gather up a set of equipment for me before I even enter the room um, so that I, we don't have to go hunting and searching when we're already ready to do the procedure, you know, when I'm ready to supervise them on performing it. Uh, on top of my equipment checklist that I hand them is, uh, have you checked the INR and is it less than 1.6? I think that is the number, 1.5 and below is, is the magic number. Uh, is the platelet count greater than, insert whatever arbitrary number you're using in your hospital. Most hospitals, it's 100 grand. Uh, it's, I will talk in a second what it actually probably should be. Um, you might as well just do it now. Uh, honestly, I think 50,000 is a much more reasonable number, um, but this should be probably an institutional policy. Uh, honestly, there in the literature, in the pediatric world, um, there's a number of papers saying anything above 10,000 platelets is just fine. Um, but 50 grand seems to be a very reasonable compromise. Is the patient on Plavix? Is the patient on DOAX? If they're on either of those, then I think it's game over for doing the LP right now. 
And so those are the things I check. And then the next question is, uh, do you need a CT scan or not? And, um, you know, a bunch of papers out there, uh, most of them building on a, a you know, a, a, just a handful of uh, actual analyses. The rest are all review articles, but they basically say the same thing. If the patient doesn't have immunocompromised, like they're not HIV, um, and they have a pristine neuro exam, and their level of consciousness, they, you know, their mental status, is just perfect you could probably forego the CT scan. Um, and, I, you know, I, I have done that on occasion. Most of the time, I think I'm probably getting a CT scan in these patients uh, for the most part. But those are the avoidance. I think the, the literature for that goes all the way back to 2001. Now, if you actually get the CT, what makes for a contraindication to LP? Um, the ones out there you'll find in the literature are a lateral shift, so midline shift, uh, loss of the suprachiasmatic or basal or cisterns, Obliteration of the fourth ventricle or obliteration of the superior cerebellar and quadrigeminal plate cisterns with sparing of the ambient cistern, with the idea being that, you know, you have a pressure differential that when you open from below rather than putting in a uh, EVD from above, you're going to create a pressure differential that's going to cause them to herniate. Um, the other ones that aren't in the paper I quote, but I would add at least as a something to consider is any form of mass makes me really leery of uh, performing, and then that includes abscesses. And then hydrocephalus, you really have to ask yourself, is this a smart thing to do? Now, sometimes it still will be, um, but you really have to make sure that that is something you're really cognizant of, and you might want to talk to your uh, neuroprofessionals uh, on that one before you start tapping them. But okay, so you're actually now ready to tap. Let's go into some of the micro skills for this procedure. So the micro skills for this really are just needle manipulation while maintaining your angles. I mean, that's really the only micro skill you need for this to develop and train. Um, and I guess to a limited extent, and it really ties into that, is manipulation of that spinal space when you're hitting bone and such. Now, we'll talk about both of these micro skills in the actual procedure. Um, anatomical knowledge, I, does anyone honestly need me to review this? I don't think so. Uh, you could check out any review article if you really want more anatomical knowledge. I'm not going to go through that. Let's talk equipment. Now, I mentioned what I really like to do is, uh, is actually have a list on a departmental website for the procedures we do regularly, like chest tubes and pleural drainage, uh, LP, uh, central line. I, I like to make these procedure lists so I could just hand that to a junior resident who this might be their first one, and they'll gather up all the equipment, have it ready, and then we'll go into the room together to do the procedure. So the equipment list for the LP is an LP kit. Two 20-gauge, 3.5-inch needles. We'll talk about the needles in just a second. One 20-gauge, 6-inch needle if the patient is obese. I, I usually just grab it no matter what unless the patient's super tiny because I'm putting these back. I'm not opening them unless I need them. Um, so there's no harm in having them, uh, but it's really annoying not to have them and have to go searching for them while the patient's you know on the table prepped and draped and all that. One 20-gauge, a traumatic needle. And again, we'll get into needle selection. Uh, a 10 ml bottle uh, or bigger of lidocaine 2% with epinephrine, a 22 gauge 1.5 inch needle, a syringe, a chlorhexidine prep stick. Don't get all angry. I know, I know. We'll talk about it. A bottle of betadine, an ABG syringe, and a cup of ice if you're tapping for infection, a gown, sterile gloves, and a mask and a hat for each. Uh, member of the team who actually may be touching that needle. Now, you know, it's debatable whether you really need a sterile gown. Um, 
I think it's probably worth it if you are inexperienced at the procedure, if you're inexperienced at the sterile technique, it's probably the way to go. Do I wear a gown most of the time? I don't. I'm, I'm really cognizant of where my hands are in terms of things touching any other part of my body. Uh, can you get away with it? You probably can. But, you know, the easiest thing to do is just throw on the gown. Um, let's talk about needle choices. Now, I like a 20-gauge needle. And I think you should tell your hospital, if your hospitals are stocking 18-gauge needles in their LP kit, they're wasting money. They could have, a, you know, the standard is going to be a quinky, which is the you know, quote unquote traumatic needle, or we should call it more traumatic needle. If they just throw a 20 gauge quinky in the uh, sets they buy, then uh, you're going to be a lot better off. In fact, the smart thing to do, I guess, would be for them to buy uh, pre-made kits that have the 20 gauge atraumatic needle in it. And then you could just grab a uh, quinky 20 gauge uh, as a backup. And then uh, it would push most people to doing the procedure with the atraumatic needle, which is probably for the best for the patient's uh, postural headache potential, because the atraumatic needles definitely have been shown to have lower potential for those headaches. Now, the uh, the trade-off, well, first of all, like never use that 18 gauge. That is, that is insane. It's way too big. Now, uh, people like 22 gauges because of even lower risk of that headache. I find the trade-off is too much going towards the 22 gauge. I mean, my my significant other, she actually uses 25 gauges for most of her spinal procedures, in which case you need an introducer needle um, to actually get through the skin and that initial tissue. Uh, I don't like this in the uh, patients I do this in because I, I really want to balance the postural headache risk with first pass success. I don't want to be pin cushioning them. My, no one's studied this, but my belief is a... Uh, multiple pokes, especially when you're actually in the space and you're not realizing you're in the space, uh, also predispose you to headaches. So 20 gauge for me is the really nice trade-off of good uh, manipulability. You know, I can really feel what I'm hitting there. I, I'm not, I could tell the difference between bone and uh, ligament. I really feel the pops um, with a 20 gauge, in my opinion, better than the others. Uh, this is just my preference. If you like a 22, I think that's absolutely fine. But my success rate on a 20 gauge, and I've actually tracked this, much, much higher. So I like a 20 gauge. And you have to work a little harder to find a 20 gauge atraumatic needle. Most of them are in smaller gauges. Uh, 22 is where most of them start. But PayJunk makes some. There's some other companies that make these 20 gauge atraumatic needles. Now, in fact, uh, and I had mentioned the, the six-inch needle for the patients who are a little bit larger. Even for a patient that's not that large, you may want it because we'll talk in a little bit about the paramedian or lateral approach um, that actually burns a little bit more needle. So I like having those six-inch needles on everyone. And PayJunk, and I don't take any money from PayJunk, even though I recommend their products a lot, makes a six-inch atraumatic 20-gauge needle. So that would be the thing because your hospital always stocks the the 20 gauge quinkies you'll find, I think, at everywhere. They, those are always just like common hospital stocks. So those are, you know, a dime a dozen. You can find a bunch of those. So what I like to do is if you're going to place special orders, which is usually what you have to do to get these atraumatic 20 gauge long needles, um, you could get, and in fact, we had at my old place, we had a six inch one and we had an atraumatic 3.5 inch one. But if you just wanted to order one item, because the, the special products committees generally don't like adding items to the 
uh, procedural uh, equipment list. If you just wanted one, they weren't like going to let you get a six-inch traumatic and a 3.5-inch atraumatic. The Pajunk six-inch atraumatic 20-gauge needle may be the best of all worlds. It'll be the only secondary needle you need to stock. Um, as long as you're cognizant that with these longer needles, you can't just go to the hub like you can with the 3.5-inch without thinking about it. You really want to know what you're doing if you're going to use the six-inch needles. <laughs> All right, it's been a while since you heard one of those. Uh, MCRIT is a paid membership service. Now, MCRIT, despite being a paid membership, still puts out more foam than most of the other sites out there who are still purely foam. A lot of it, which is why you haven't heard this sound in a while. But the only way we stay afloat is by people actually joining. And if you want to hear the additional think 35 minutes of this episode in which I deep dive into LP and give you all the tips and tricks that will make you a lumbar puncture superstar, you really need to become a member of MCRIT by going to mcrit.org join. And when you do, you will be getting the best information to take care of your super sick patients in the ED critical care unit and the pre-hospital environment. If you are a resuscitationist that does not have time to read 60 journals each month and actually take the best information out of them and put them into podcast form, put them into literature review form for the rack lit review you get every month, um, then you probably should join. Take some of your CME funds, write it off on your taxes, and go to mcrit.org and slash join because then you'll be doing the best possible service to your critically ill patients to be able to take care of them in the most up-to-date, cutting-edge way possible. So come on over to mcrit.org slash join, and more foam will be coming at you very soon if you can't join, but you will be missing out on most of the good stuff MCRIT has to offer. Scott Weingart for the MCRIT Podcast saying, please join.